Well, a much-needed win for the Sox yesterday at Fenway Park is they beat the Brewers and they avoid a sweep at the hands of Milwaukee. It did not look like it was going that way for a while. Hunter Renfro, another home run against his former team. He hit one on Saturday. He hit another one yesterday, an absolute bomb off Josh Winkowski. Good thing for Bloom that the Red Sox at least salvaged a victory in the series because that would have looked really bad. <laughs> Hunter Renfro, a home run on Saturday, then again on Sunday. Man, Hunter Renfro, that thing was absolutely smoked off Josh Winkowski. But the good news is the Red Sox did win that game. And the bats got going for this team, and in particular, J.D. Martinez. He had been ice cold 0 for 25, and he came alive yesterday in a major way. And it's great to see J.D. start to hit again because the rumors are out there. People looking for bats at the deadline. You think about the Mets. You think about the Dodgers. And we'll see if J.D. has already played his final game at Fenway Park. And you really start to look at it. The Red Sox are asking for a top-five prospect in an organization and a major league player. It seems like a big ass. J.D.'s been struggling for the past two months or so. We'll see if they're able to get something done with J.D. Martinez. But it is worth mentioning just how much he's meant to this team, this organization, because he's not the fan favorite that Rafi is or that Xander Bogarts is. He's not a homegrown guy. But J.D. Martinez has been a total difference maker for this team. You go back to the 17th season after David Ortiz retired, there was a crater, a hole, a massive hole in the middle of that lineup for the Red Sox. And J.D. Martinez in 18 took that over and ran with it. Because remember, in 17, it was a weird season. At times, John Farrell had Mookie Betts hitting cleanup. It was like, what is going on here? You needed a guy that you could just put on there and say, hey, you're hitting fourth, you're hitting third every day. We need you here. Produce. J.D. did it every day. You look at his numbers since the start of 18. 295 average. That's 11th of 293 qualifiers. 902 OPS, that's 11th. 669 hits, ninth most. 160 doubles, fifth most. 123 home runs, 16th. And by the way, <laughs> let's give Dave Dombrowski some credit. Remember, Scott Boris and JD were looking for a $200 million contract. The Red Sox offered five for 110, which is $22 million per season, pretty much. And they stuck to their guns. Remember, J.D. Martinez, it took forever for him to sign. But the Red Sox stayed true to what their offer was going to be. And eventually they landed the player. J.D. never opted out of the contract. Now, some of that has to do with what transpired in 2020. Remember, he had the down two months, the whole situation with during COVID, the players were not allowed to look at videos. And that's just for a player like J.D., it's going to completely ruin your season because he relies on that video so much and he continued to complain about it that year and I felt like there's got to be something true to this because the guy doesn't just forget how to hit he clearly needed the video he didn't feel complete without it so because of that bad season bad two months I should really say he opted into the contract or didn't opt out of the contract and he stayed for all five seasons I mean that is an outstanding contract by Dave Dombrowski. One of the things I've always liked about Dave Dombrowski, when he sees holes on his major league team, he just fills them. He doesn't try to be cute with it like we see with Hein Bloom from time to time. He just does it. Hey, I need a closer, Craig Kimbrell. Let's go. Manuel Margot is going to San Diego. Hey, I need a top end of the uh, rotation starter. I'll send some guys out for Chris Sale. I need somebody they can hit in the middle of my lineup. Boom. Come on down, J.D. Martinez. So if this was J.D.'s final day, great contract by Dave Dombrowski and unbelievable Red Sox tenure here for J.D. Martinez. He was phenomenal. So if that was his last day as a Red Sox, he went out in style, doing what J.D. Martinez has always done, slugged, produced. That's what he's done ever since he signed on the dotted line. And it was really interesting seeing him over the weekend. You could tell that he knows it's close to the end. He wants to be remembered as a guy that came here every day and worked hard. He certainly did that. All right, let's get to Xander Bogarts, because we all know this homestand for the Red Sox was absolutely atrocious. 
but the leader of the team showed up. Ten games for Bogarts on this homestand. Remember, nine of those without Raphael Devers. He goes 11 for 35. The slash line, 314, 415, 514 slugging, and a 929 OPS. So that isolated power is 200, which is good. I mean, it's not outstanding, but it's much better than where he's been this season. 23 batted balls, 11 were hard hit. That's a 47.8% hard hit rate. Here's the big thing. The launch angle, 15.6 degrees, and just a 34.8% ground ball rate. That's really good because think about this. June 1st until the All-Star break, when the power numbers really faded, he slugged just 425. Remember, the homestand, he was able to slug 514 compared to 425 from June 1st to the All-Star break. The isolated power was at 200 during this homestand. It was at 117 from June 1st to the All-Star break. And again, if you're not familiar with that, it's just the slugging percentage minus the batting average. It gives you an idea of how often you're hitting for power. Okay, and in terms of the hard hit balls, 260 batted balls from June 1st to the All-Star break. 103 were hard hit. That's 39.6%. On the homestand, again, he was 47.8%. So a lot more louder contact, and this contact was in the air. All line drives. Launch angle, like I said, 15.6 degrees on the homestand. Prior to that, June 1st to the All-Star break, 10 degrees, which meant a 50.8% ground ball rate. Everything on the ground in the homestand or at the homestand, I should say, 34.8%. That type of approach from Xander Bogarts, and I still contend, as I've said multiple times, I believe that he's been dealing with an injury for a long period of time, that he's been banged up for the majority of the season. And what we saw in the homestand, maybe he was getting the extended break with the all-star situation and all that. He looks like a different player. He looks completely refreshed right now. And that Xander Bogarts is the Xander Bogarts that this team is going to need in the second half of the season if they're going to make a run at this thing. And we'll see what the trade deadline dictates and all that, but If you want to look at one of the real positives from the homestand, because there weren't a lot of them, Xander Bogarts is definitely one of them. And it's not just the numbers. I ran through those, but just the leadership. He knows all these guys are down right now, and he's going out there and he's playing balls to the wall. He's played some of the best defense I've seen him play over this last stretch that I've ever seen Xander Bogarts play. I'm not telling you he's a butcher. We all know the defensive metrics. They have not been great to Bogarts over the years, much improved this year, but I felt he was really good defensively. The guy is absolutely outstanding on the bases. I mean, he is an incredible base runner. I'm telling you, he steals bags all the time, but he always takes extra bags. And it was just the guy that you needed the rock as this thing was going poorly for the Red Sox. Xander Bogarts has been outstanding. All right, another thing. How about this? The Red Sox had an actually an actual major league second baseman for the last two games of the homestand. Christian Arroyo is back, baby, because you're playing the Sanchez's of the world. I guess technically Arroyo was playing third base yesterday, but you get my point. You have somebody that can actually fill in for Trevor Story not being available because Sanchez played second. He had Arroyo at third, but Arroyo being that utility guy, the problem with him is he's never available. And you see what he does. This is what's aggravating about him or frustrating, I should say, or really unfortunate. is just he's had so many issues from a health perspective. When he's on the field, he produces. You think about the lift he gave them in the final two games. Two games, eight plate appearances. He goes five for six with two walks. So the slash line on that, 833, 875, 1333, 2208. In terms of the OPS, he... Had five batted balls, four were hard hit, 80% hard hit rate. So now that we don't know what's going on with Story, he's got a hairline fracture. And Alex Gore did say that he's not going to miss any extra time due to that. I still have no idea what's going on there. 
Like, how did nobody find the hairline fracture before this? He had to go to a second guy. I get it's in a different area, but it just seems like something that should have been found prior to this. But the whole point about the story situation is just getting a guy like Arroyo back where you know he's a major league player, where you know he can do damage, you know that he can play a multitude of positions, although don't play him in right field anymore. I mean, he's atrocious out there, minus five defensive runs saved. But he can play third base, he can play second base, he can play shortstop. So it's just great to have that guy back, and hopefully he gives them a little bit of a spark, which he did over the weekend for sure. All right, but we do have to recap what transpired in July. The Red Sox went eight and 19. (laughs) I mean, they were outscored 181 to 104. So if you're doing the math on that, that's the run differential is negative 77. Now the Red Sox, as I said, they gave up those 181 runs. Washington gave up the second most at 142. Think about that for a second. 181 for the Red Sox. The team that was second was Washington at 142. So we'll get to the pitching in just a second here, and in particular the starters. But the offense hasn't hit either. You look at the offense in July. Now, I get it. A lot of that has to do with injuries. Story went down. And in particular, the main one that missed the last nine games was Rafael Devers. And J.D. had been slumping. Bogart started to get it going here from more of a power perspective. But he was really hitting just for average early on in the month. And you look at it now. Offense in the month of July, 238 average. That was 20th. 288 slug, twenty or on base percentage rather. That was 26th. 389 slug, 20th. 677 OPS, 22nd, 26.6% strikeout rate, 27th, 6.2% walk rate, 27th, and a 34.5% hard hit rate, 25th. And that's the big three right there. The strikeout rate was 27th, the walk rate was 27th, and the hard hit rate is 25th. So you're not taking first base, you're not taking any free passes, you're striking out all the time, and you're not making any loud contact. That trio is just a horrific trio to have for this Red Sox team. And that's part of the calculus here and why they weren't producing. It's not like they were getting unlucky. They weren't hitting the ball hard. They were striking out and they weren't walking. Bad at bat after bad at bat after bad at bat this month. And then you look at the starters. So with Winkowski getting credit for the win yesterday, and I wasn't overly impressed with Winkowski, by the way, just a a slight digression. The guy gave up seven hits in five innings and he walked one. He gave up the bomb. He didn't miss bats once again. 31 swings, four whiffs, 13%. His whiff rate is barely over 15%. The worst guy in the sport in terms of starters is Marco Gonzalez, and he's over 17%. So I wasn't overwhelmed with Winkowski. I wasn't impressed with Winkowski whatsoever. I felt like get to the bullpen after the fifth inning, get him out of the game because he's about to get lit up. But anyway, starters. Winkowski gets credit for the win, so they go 1-13 in the month. <laughs> they were about to be the third team ever to go a month without a win. 118 innings. See, here's part of the problem. They only go 118 innings, which was 28th. So then you're putting it into the hands of the bullpen, which we all know isn't good either. 709 ERA, 30th. 171 whip, 30th. 314 opponents batting average, 30th. 17% strikeout rate, 28th. Basically the worst in every statistical category. You're not missing bats. You're walking the ballpark, you're not getting guys out, and you're the worst pitching staff in Major League Baseball in the month, worse than the Washington Nationals. I mean, it was tough to watch. And the problem is, all these guys had issues, with the exception of Crawford. Evaldi, three starts, 11.08 ERA, 2.08 whip, 3.65 opponents batting average, an 11.9% strikeout rate, and a 41.8% hard hit rate. So here's the question now with Evaldi. The velocity on his fastball has been down two miles per hour since he originally, the game that prior to him going on the IL against the Angels, and the velocity is still down. Last time out, he threw 29 splitters and 28 fastballs. 
which begs the question, if Evaldi does not throw the ball well tonight against the Houston Astros, what is the trade market going to be for him? Because he's another guy. The Red Sox have never gone to him with any sort of extension offer. You would think they're going to try to move on from Nate at the trading deadline. What are you going to get back from Evaldi if this is the trend? I don't know how a team trades for Evaldi right now. Like, you get it with J.D., you can convince yourself he's going to get going. And maybe yesterday was some evidence to that with J.D., but if a guy's velocity is still down on the fastball, I don't know how a team trades for Nathan Evaldi. So it feels like on a couple of different levels, this is a massive start. If the Red Sox are going to make a run in the second half of the season, not the second half, the stretch run of the season here, they're going to need a good Nate Evaldi. And then the other thing is... Well, if they want to trade Nate Evaldi, he has to throw the ball well tonight. So it seems like whatever the Red Sox plan is, if they're going for it and they're keeping Nate or they want to trade Nate, whatever the case may be with that, he needs to throw the ball well tonight or there's going to be no market and the Red Sox are screwed because if they're going to try to win, then they're having a bad Nathan Evaldi again. All right, Josh Winkowski, we mentioned him briefly. He had five starts, a 6-12 ERA in the month, a 156 whip. He misses less bats than anybody in the sport. Crawford, he was great for this team. Four starts, 318 ERA, 0 0.93 whip, 220 opponents batting average. Big thing with him, too, just a 3.5% walk rate. Crawford was outstanding. I mean, without Crawford this month, this team was going to be porked. He was outstanding. Well, they were kind of porked anyway. But you get my point. Crawford was absolutely tremendous. And I'm impressed that he's the guy that took the step forward. Out of all these young guys, he had been the, less, the least heralded of all of them. And he's been downright phenomenal. How about Pavetta? I mean, this is a scary one. Pavetta is allergic to soft contact. He is getting absolutely lit up. 48.2% hard hit rate. So think about that. Almost one out of every two batted balls is going off the bat 95 plus miles an hour. Right now, Pavetta is in a major, major funk. And I just look at him now. He has not had a great overall season. He was bad in April. He was bad in July. He was pretty good in May and June. But if you take it all in conjunction, it's been a mediocre to below average season from Nick Pavetta. 938 ERA in July, 213 whip, 368 opponents batting average, and a 10.1% walk rate and just a 19.3% strikeout rate. So he wasn't striking many guys out. He's walking the ballpark, and the contact he's giving up is all loud. Pavetta's in major trouble right now. How about Brian Bayo? Now, Bayo, this is what I'll say about Bayo, was not good as a starter, but as a bulk guy the other day, phenomenal. So I was really impressed with Bayo. But just to outline what he did, three starts, 1050 ERA, 250 whip, 400 opponents batting average. Those are his numbers as a starter. Obviously, was better in that bulk role the other day. But the reason I just mentioned Bayo, I feel optimistic about what he did the other day. I thought he would, quite frankly, that was very impressive, what we saw from Brian Bayo. But the reason I mentioned him is just to outline, basically out of your starters, because Sale made one start and he pitched an inning against the Yankees. Out of your starters, the only guy that was good for you was Cutter Crawford. You just cannot have that one guy in your entire rotation was good for you. And then you look at the bullpen situation this month, it wasn't much better. 5.53 ERA, or I should say last month, it's August now, but in July, 5.53 ERA, 29th, a 154 whip, that was 26, 2.57 opponents batting average, 25th, 11.7% walk rate, that was dead last, 30th, and six blown saves, tied for the most in Major League Baseball. So that's why the Red Sox get to an 8-19 and 19 record and fall out of that wild card spot, and now they're going to have to do everything they possibly can to try to get back in this race, and we don't know if they're going to. Because, obviously, the rumors are swirling. Looks like the Red Sox are going to be more sellers than buyers. One thing I just want to mention real quickly is I just hope that we acknowledge why this team is here. Why they're in a position where J.D. Martinez, one of the great sluggers of this recent generation of Red Sox teams, and really one of the great sluggers of the past six to seven years in Major League Baseball when he really started to get going in Detroit, then he went to the Diamondbacks for that 
half a year. This team deserved more. And the problem is this team was not built correctly with the guy running the organization, Bloom. So they were in a situation where the team was not complete entering the season. It felt like the main priority with this organization has to rebuild the farm system. That's what they've been trying to do. And they've done that to some degree. The Nick Yorks of the world, the Marcelo Mayers of the world. I give them credit for rebuilding some of the farm system. But you had a really good team in 18 that won the World Series. Best team in the history of the organization from a record perspective. And it just felt like after the loss in 19, this team panicked. And all the trades they made, sending guys away, what has really helped the big league team and this core that won a championship in 18? You really start to think about the Benintendi trade. You got nothing that actually helped the J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Red Sox, right? You got Winkowski, who has not been good, and Franchi Cordero, who has not been good. Now, De La Rosa down the road, maybe he's good. But the problem is you took away a really good player in Andrew Benintendi, despite the fact that he was coming off a down season in 2019 and he got hurt in 2020. And basically, his value was at its nadir because he was coming off a down season and he struggled. And you got nothing to help the big league club with him. If you look at the Mookie Betts trade, and I know we've rehashed this multiple times, it's one of the worst trades you'll ever see in the history of sports. I mean, not just Major League Baseball, one of the worst trades you will ever see. All you got back is Alex Verdugo for the big league team. So since you lost Mookie Betts at that particular point in time, an MVP in 18, a top five player in the sport, all you've gotten is like an average outfielder. That's it for Mookie Betts. Jeter Downs isn't a good player right now, and he may never be a good player. And Connor Wong's a backup catcher, although he may get more time here, depending on what happens with Christian Vasquez. So that's my biggest issue with High and Bloom. We're sitting here at the trading deadline, and the reason this team is sellers is because he has just not done a good job with his roster. I mean, you really start to think about it, too, in terms of the bullpen guys. Deekman had a nice stretch there, and I gave him some credit. I wish I didn't do that, because ever since then, Deekman, the other day, he comes into a game where the Red Sox need to win it, and he hits the eight hitter, and he walks the nine hitter. That's the one guy that the Red Sox really gave money to in the offseason as it pertains to the bullpen when they gave him two years for $8 million. The one thing that I really liked and I really respected about Dave Dombrowski is when he saw holes, he would go out there and he would fill them with major league guys. And it just seems like Bloom, everything has to be on the margins or everything has to be on the periphery. And this whole idea that one thing that irritates me is we thought when Bloom came here, one of his strengths was going to be, yeah, he can build a bullpen. Well, does anybody see evidence of that? Because I look at the Red Sox bullpen in the Dave Dombrowski era, and I compare it to the bullpen in the Bloom era, and we complained at times about Dave Dombrowski. I'm not saying we didn't do that whatsoever, but Dave Dombrowski built better bullpens than Bloom. I mean, the numbers bear it out, and not to mention, you know what Dombrowski did? He said, hey, we need help in the bullpen. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get one of the best closers in the game. No more am I worrying about the ninth inning, and I know Kimbrell struggled a bit in the 18 postseason, but he was really good for his tenure here. Ninth inning, it's over. You can put the kids to bed. They're going to bed. We're winning this game because Kimbrell's coming out. Bloom has not done that. Okay, just real quickly here. Sox bullpen. 16 through 19, Dave Dombrowski era. 375 ERA, sixth in baseball. 20 to 22, Bloom era. 448 ERA, 23rd. Opponents batting average, Dombrowski era. 235th. Bloom era, 248-27th. Bullpen, 129 whip, Dombrowski era, 10th. 142, Bloom, 27th. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable, really, how much better Dave Dombrowski was than Heim Bloom putting together a bullpen. They were first in win probability added with Dave Dombrowski. They're 19th with Heim Bloom. How about this? 21.2 fan graphs war, third in baseball during the Dombrowski era. 
5.7 with Bloom, 19th. Unbelievable. They had the seventh fewest meltdowns in Major League Baseball in the Dombrowski era in terms of their bullpen. And during the Bloom era, they're tied for the most meltdowns in all of Major League Baseball as it pertains to the bullpen. So I just, I, when I look at High and Bloom, I understand the idea of building up a long-term, long-term sustainable winner. But the one thing that I look at right now, he has not done a good enough job with the big league club, and there's no way around that.